Good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to start this morning with a little quiz. So let's see how you do. It's just five questions. It's pretty short. Let's test your Bible knowledge to start out with this morning. Question number one, who cut Samson's hair? Question number two, in which gospel accounts record of Jesus' birth do we read about the innkeeper? Question number three, true or false, the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. Question number four is, who was Esther's uncle? And question five is, which apostle doubted the report of Jesus' resurrection? So there's your five questions. Hopefully, you jotted down an answer as we went along there. So, how did you do? Let's check your work. Number one, who cut Samson's hair? Obviously, Delilah, right? Actually, wrong. Delilah didn't cut Samson's hair. An unnamed, uh, an unnamed Philistine did. That's Judges 16 and 19. Second question, which gospel account talks about an innkeeper during Jesus' birth? And the answer is none of them. None of the gospel accounts talk about an innkeeper. Number three, true or false, Noah's Ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. That is false. Actually, the Bible says that the Ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat or the region of Ararat, but not on Mount Ararat. Number four, who was Esther's uncle? And don't say Mordecai because Mordecai was her cousin. And five, the apostle that doubted the resurrection of Jesus, which one was it? If you said all of them, then give yourself a gold star because it wasn't just Thomas, every single one of them doubted Jesus' resurrection. So why start out with a quiz like this? Well, it's not to highlight anyone's biblical ignorance. It's not to catch anyone in a technicality. It's not meant to be loaded questions. In fact, I think our folks right here at Oldham Lane are some of the most biblically knowledgeable people that I have ever met. But it's easy to assume certain things, isn't it? Whether it's based on tradition failure to read properly or carefully, or maybe being told many things throughout your life without ever really carefully examining them for yourselves. Whatever the reason may be, it's far too easy to embrace a certain way of thinking, even if it's not biblical. And it's so easy to look at our religious neighbors and say, I don't understand why they believe that way. Haven't they read their Bible? When the truth of the matter is, you've probably believed something that's not quite biblical as well. Case in point, the judgment. What will judgment day be like? Well, many people have this picture in their mind that on the day of judgment, we're all going to be standing in a single file line. When we get to the front of the line, there will be Jesus sitting on the throne behind a huge desk, and on top of this desk will be a scale. And our deeds will be weighed on this scale. You'll have your good deeds on one side of the scale and your bad deeds on the other. And depending on which way the scales are tipped determines where you're going to spend eternity. So if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you will be escorted through the pearly gates and into heaven for all eternity. If your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, then our Lord's going to pull a lever, releasing a trap door, and you're going to fall into hell and spend your eternity there. That's how so many of us view the judgment day. It's this show trial mentality that is often accepted, not just by our secular world, but even by Christians, no less. But what we have to understand when it comes to the day of judgment is that there is no trial. 
We will not be put on trial before our Lord who will then consider the evidence and then hand down a final verdict of guilty or not guilty. By thinking this way, we tend to ask the wrong questions. Two questions in particular. We tend to ask, well, then have I been good enough and have I done enough? You know, if I were to ask you this morning, how many tuning in believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are going to heaven when you die? I think a lot of people would be rather tentative in their answer. They may do one of these with raising their hand. Many of us lack the confidence that we so sorely need about the afterlife and where we will go when we die. I've talked to many Christians who have lived a long and faithful life in service to God and they get to the end of their lives and they wonder if God is still mad at them. They ask questions like, have I been good enough? Have I done enough? Is God still angry with me? These are the wrong questions related to judgment because the answers to these questions have already been given. No, you are not good enough. No, you have never done enough and you never will do enough to earn or merit salvation. And no, God is not still mad at you. Children of God will be judged by the judge who is also our lawyer. Remember, we talked about this last week. 1 John chapter 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is the judge who takes our side. The one who will judge the living and the dead is also the one who died on a cross so that you could stand confident on the day of judgment. You think about that. You think how awesome that is. That You go to, you go to trial to convict someone of a crime, right? But we're, we're, we're guilty. I mean, at least without a mediator, without a Savior, we are guilty. But there is no trial because we're not guilty. That's the whole point. We should be condemned. We deserve the death penalty. But Jesus came to our side. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. And because he is, we are free. Our debt has been paid in full. And Jesus satisfied God's just requirements so that we could be justified. So that we could have no fear on the day of judgment. You see... Jesus came the first time to seek and save the lost. When he comes back, it'll be to judge. Notice John 12 and 47. It reads, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to, the, to judge the world, but to save the world. But John also had this to say, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Jesus' purpose, his sole purpose for coming to this earth the first time was to seek and save the lost. He says that in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The purpose for his return will be to separate the sheep and the goats. So what happens in the meantime? Well, we just hunker down and we wait for him to come back, right? We, we go uh, find a storm shelter somewhere and we, we try to survive until he returns. No, that, that's not what we do. 
We are the hands and feet of Jesus until he returns. We carry out his mission in the world. We are his mouthpiece that proclaims the gospel. Our goal should be to prepare for Christ's return by bearing good fruit. But not only this, we also need to completely change our way of thinking when it comes to the judgment day. Do you know what life hacks are? Life hacks are strategies that you learn that can help you in everyday life and everyday activities. Kind of like, uh, kind of like this, a, a pool noodle that can be used as a hose. Or maybe this one. You can place a pantyhose over your vacuum cleaner attachment to pick up small objects. Or how about this one? Did you know that you can take a wooden spoon and place it over a boiling pot of water to keep it from spilling over? You see, as the water boils, if it gets too high, the spoon will pop the bubbles and keep it from overflowing. Or did you know that you can actually keep the buttons in place on your shirt, on your jacket, by taking some clear nail polish remover and painting over it? Or maybe just nail polish, I don't remember which one. Mind blown, right? You can go online and you can look at thousands of life hacks out there. And some of them truly are kind of mind-blowing. You think to yourself, well, why didn't I ever think of that? It's so simple, right? And that's really what we're getting at with the topic of Judgment Day. Although it, it may be an overstatement to say that, you know, we're going to blow your mind this morning, I do want us to look at this, uh, in a, this event in a way that maybe we never have before. I want us to think of the Day of Judgment as today, not tomorrow. Instead of thinking about the day of the Lord as some fixed time in the unknown future where our deeds will be weighed on the scales of justice, think of the day of the Lord as the time in which we live right now. Just as salvation is not a moment but an ongoing event, so too judgment is not just a single event or moment but rather an ongoing thing as well. Yes, there is a fixed day sometime in the future when our Lord will return to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, the ongoing events of salvation and judgment will cease. Salvation uh, will be rewarded, judgment declared. When is this day? I don't know. You don't know. And any preacher who tries to tell you he knows does not know. He's simply a snake oil salesman because there have been many people who have tried to forecast the end and when Jesus is going to come back. And the Bible clearly tells us that of that day and that hour, no one knows. And so no one knows, but it is going to happen. The day of the Lord will happen, but let's look at it as something that is happening right now rather than just as some fixed day in the unknown future. In fact, let's go back a little bit. Look with me at what the prophet Joel had to say many moons ago. You might remember this. We talked about this a little bit last year, and we said that we would dig deeper into it this year. Well, today's the day. So look at Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 30. It reads, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now, 
The Israelites knew all too well that a day was coming. They knew and they anticipated the day that the anointed one, the Messiah, would come. So they anticipated this day, but there would also be darkness on this day. They knew that as well. It would be a sad day for some. It would not be a glorious day for the enemies of God. And Joel describes it as a day in which all nations will be gathered into the valley of decision. That's Joel chapter 3. So God is declaring war on the nations that oppose him and his people. I want you to notice Joel chapter 3, starting in verse 9. It says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So the nations are going to war against God, and they're going to lose. And in the process, they will be judged. They will be judged for the way they treated God's people. They will be judged for their evil, but... God's people will be blessed. They will prosper. They will have all that they need. Look at verses 18 through 21 of Joel 3. It says, And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shittim. Egypt will become a waste, and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem for all generations, and I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So in this day, God's people will be more than taken care of. When is this day? When will it come? We'll turn over to the book of Acts in chapter 2. As the Spirit of God is being poured out on the apostles on the day of Pentecost, as Jews from every nation have gathered in Jerusalem for the festival, the people wondered what was going on. The apostles must have been drunk because of the way they were acting. And Peter says, no, no, no one's drunk here. What is happening is what Joel prophesied about. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 17, it reads, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day the Lord of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's message was this. The last days are here. The days of the Messiah have come. God sent his son to show a better, more perfect way. And what did you people do to him? You killed him. You murdered the Messiah. Now, what did the people who were hearing this know? 
What did the people in the audience that day really know? Well, surely they knew about the Messianic kingdom. They knew what that meant. Surely they knew what it meant to have blessings uh, for them when the Messiah comes. And surely they knew that it meant judgment for God's enemies. And so it became crystal clear in that moment that they had killed God's anointed. So which side does that put them on? This was a light bulb moment for them. They, they considered themselves God's people, and yet Peter points out to them that they had aligned themselves with God's enemies. The days of blessing and curse were here, and Peter says, you're not on the right side. You're not on the side of God. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Peter's audience knew exactly what this meant. They were a part of that generation. And they were now a part of those who killed the prophets, who rebelled against God and his people. And they were not a part of the chosen. They were the enemy. And Peter says, save yourself. There's still hope. You don't have to stay on the enemy's side. There was still an opportunity for redemption. Peter says, here's how you get it. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is not through with you, not yet. He desires to pour out his blessings. You don't have to be an enemy of God. Peter's audience were gathered into the valley of decision, and some 3,000 made the decision that day to be on the Lord's side. Enemies of God chose to be God's people. Ladies and gentlemen, today is the day of the Lord. It's today, not tomorrow, today. Salvation and judgment are here. Jesus has come. The kingdom has come. We are living in the last days. The sheep and the goats are already being separated. There is no mystery here. There's, there's nothing else to reveal. The standard has been set. The kingdom is at hand. If you're in it, great. And if you're not, then get in it. What are you waiting for? Jesus has come back to earth. He has come to save those who are lost. Don't wait till he comes back a second time because then it's too late. There will be no opportunity to stand before the Lord and plead your case on the day of judgment. I think that's what we think sometimes. When we view the day of judgment, we think that we will go before our Lord and we will plead our case to the judge. But you have no case. The case is closed. There is no courtroom drama. There is no trial. The accuser, Satan, won't be there on the last day. He's been tossed into the lake of fire. There is no trial. The day of judgment is a time of sentencing. It's not a time where the evidence will be weighed and considered. And I guess for some, it's going to be a day of surprise. I mean, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 tell us that there are some that will be surprised that uh, Jesus didn't accept their good deeds or their religious deeds. But instead, he says, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who practice lawlessness. But I don't believe that the day of judgment is going to come to us as a surprise to many. Sheep will know their sheep. Goats will know that they're goats. Judgment Day will be a day when every person is rewarded for the way that they had chosen to live. Did you choose to be on God's side? Did you choose to live on, on God's side? Then, then you get to be with Him for all eternity. Did you choose to live your life in a way that was an enemy of God? Did you choose to live outside of fellowship with God and against His will? Well, then you will get in eternity what you chose to live for today. 
Look at Revelation 20, starting in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. We ask the wrong questions related to judgment. We ask questions like, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? And those questions have already been answered. The only question you need to be asking and the only question that matters is, am I in the book of life? That's the most important question. That's it. That's the only thing that matters. My list of sins doesn't matter if, if my name is in the book of life. How guilty I am doesn't matter. How much wrong I've done or even how much good I've done. Because no matter how much good I've done, I cannot earn this in any way, shape, or form. What matters is, am I in the book of life? And how does one get their name in the book of life? By obeying the gospel. By being faithful until death. By having a relationship with Jesus. Everything you are and everything you do is proving whether you are on God's side or not. So, when we read passages that talk about working out your own salvation, making your calling and election sure, examining yourselves, these are all about showing your loyalty. Which side are you on? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaks of the day of judgment, a time when the sheep and the goats will be separated. And notice what the focus is. What separates the two groups? Well, being Jesus, right? Giving the hungry something to eat, giving the thirsty something to drink, visiting the sick and in prison. Did you prove your discipleship by doing the works of Jesus Christ? You see, every day is an opportunity to be a sheep. Don't let that opportunity slip away. There is no guarantee of tomorrow. So treat today as the day of judgment. You know, when God told Noah to build the ark, Noah didn't know when it was going to start raining. He didn't know when the flood would come. Now, God had already judged the world. He had already declared mankind guilty even before he came to Noah. But you know what Noah did? He got to work. He didn't just wait things out. He started preparing. Like Noah, we are in the time of preparation. The ark is being built. The flood waters are rising. There's room in the ark, so get in it. Folks, the reason that we offer an invitation at the end of, uh, of the sermon, the reason that we sing today is, is the day of salvation, is because this is judgment day. This is the day of the Lord. Today is the day to show which side you're on. This is the valley of decision. And every day that you say no to Jesus is a day of judgment against you. But, and this is important, but for those who are on God's side, we have the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. We have the obedience to his word that affirms our faithfulness. And we have the spirit who bears witness that we are indeed a child of God. So let me close with a question. Whose side are you on? And let me say this, and I cannot stress this enough. 
This is not a question that you need to address sometime in the future. This is not a tomorrow question. This is a question for today and for right now. This is not a question you get around to at some point. No, this is a question that you need to be asking right now. Whose side are you on? Because today is the day of the Lord, not tomorrow.